this personality quirk where I have this tendency to always want to look ahead. And there's good things about that and bad things about that. But um, I want us to look ahead just for a minute because we're in the last week of a series called Sent, where we've looked at where God has sent us as individuals and as a church. And so since this is the last week, that means next week is going to be the first week of something new. It's the first week of a series where we're going to go through the book of Psalms and pray through what the book of Psalms call us into. And really a lot of this is done to orient our hearts as we approach the season of Lent. One of the ways that we want to be formed as a people is by God's word, and that happens corporately. It also happens individually. So right now, we actually have a resource I need to tell you about um, on our app. It was done by someone here, one of us, Stephanie Mayer, has an incredible background in education and spiritual formation, and she has put together a really powerful devotional guide that you can actually pull out your app, hit the download button right there on the bottom in the middle, and this, this guide is a PDF that you can download right there on your phone. If you prefer to go to our website, it's also downloadable under the resources section of the website. And if, if that still doesn't work, find one of us. We will help you get a hold of this. <clears throat> Basically what this does is gives you daily reading and prayer prompts as we go through this sermon series together. And so on Monday, we'll actually start prepping our hearts for the following Sunday. And so that's why we're talking about this now is we would love for you to be able to go ahead and do that. So all you have to do is you can do it now, you can do it later, pop open the app, download that resource. It's something that we'll be talking about as we go through, right? And so back to the present, here's the question that we've been asking ourselves. Where has God sent us? What has he called us to do? We've become Christians. We've prayed a prayer. We've been baptized. What's next for that? And we've looked at all of the different places that God has sent his people. We've looked at before anything else, he sent us to a faith in Jesus. Because ultimately, everything that we do is an overflow of the transformation that's happened in us because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We've looked at how he has called us to live in community. We've looked at how he's called us to use our gifts. Last week, we looked at how he's called us to minister in the communities in which we've been sent, right? Like in our neighborhoods, in our office places, in the places that we're going during the week, like coffee shops, grocery stores, nonprofits, school boards. Everywhere that we are is an opportunity for us to take the gospel into the world. This week, we're going to look at one of the most fundamental commands that Jesus gives his followers before he ascends into heaven. It's in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. And we're going to look and see this concept that God has sent us to make disciples everywhere. <clears throat> when the church has been sent, we've been sent locally, but not just locally. We, we've been sent everywhere. I don't know what resonates um, with you when you think about your faith. I don't know what aspects of Christianity tend to kind of stir your heart towards a love for the Lord or get you energized. For me, this is weird, I know. <clears throat> I've always loved history. I've always loved old things, right? I've always appreciated just kind of the weight of, of what can sustain and endure over time. And so the historicity of Christianity has always been something that's really drawn me to it. And just this past week, I was reading one of my favorite historians is a guy named William Dalrymple. He is British, um, spent a ton of time in India and travels and writes about history. And so about 
gosh, 20 years now, he went on a tour and wrote a book called From the Holy Mountain where he retraced the steps of a Byzantine monk. And basically what was fascinating about this is some of the, the birthplaces of Christianity were in places now that are predominantly Muslim. And so he went through Syria, he went through the Middle East, and as he was writing about some of these monasteries in Syria that have been in existence worshiping since the first Christians, he's writing about how they're using the same liturgy that they started using 2,000 years ago. The same songs, the same prayers, the same order of worship for 2,000 years have sustained the worship of this community in Syria. What's crazy about that is that 2,000 years ago, these people started worshiping this God with these truths in this way that are largely the same as the way that we worship the same God, the same truths, and in largely the same way 2,000 years later on a continent that no one really even knew existed at that time, at least in large part. How did that happen? How did we go from a very small, what would have historically been considered an offshoot of Second Temple Judaism into seeing one of the most widely practiced religions in the entire world? How did that happen? Well, God sent his people out. God sent his people out. One of the mandates that the early church was given was to take the gospel to everyone, everywhere to show people what it meant to be a Christian. And so as a church, we have not been exempted from that call. That call to go everywhere wasn't lifted when we got to the colonial age and we found everything, right? It wasn't like, okay, we've seen it all, we're good. That call continues. We as followers of Christ continue to be in glad obedience to who he has called us to be, that we would recognize the overflow of God's love in our lives, the forgiveness that we've had, the newness that we've had, the life that we've had, and out of the joy that happens from our conversion, the overflow of that joy would not help but spill out into the world around us. How do we bring the peace of Christ to everyone? How do we bring the truth of God's love to all men? How do we bring the justice, the rhythms of love, the rhythms of service that we've been called into as a church to everyone, everywhere, all the time? What does that look like? So we're gonna see what Jesus has commanded his followers to do, which is to make disciples everywhere. And then we're gonna talk about how we do that here at Roswell. Remember, God has sent us individually, but he's also sent us corporately. There's an individual and a corporate element to this. And so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew 28. We're gonna be in verse 16, right? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. So let's take the two major points of this and use this as a springboard to understand why we've been sent everywhere. The first one is that God has sent us everywhere. We have been sent everywhere. This would have been sort of difficult to get their arms around as the disciples were hearing this. He's really clear, he says, go to all nations. Another way to say that is all peoples or all ethnicities. Nation states in the first century weren't quite understood the same way they are now. And so the concept that he's conveying here is this is everyone all over the place. 
<clears throat> the reason that was difficult was because at the time, most religions had these cultural boundaries. So if you were from this tribe, you would worship this God. If you were from this tribe, you would worship this God. And there was this very intense localized cultural nature to religion because that's just sort of how the world worked. In fact, when you read the first church, when you read both the letters in the New Testament and even the historical documents we have that are extra biblical, the problem that the first church had the roadblock that they could not get past, what they thought about, what they argued about, what they would have been saying on Twitter if they had it back then was how did the Jews and the Gentiles get along? Because the Jewish believers of Jesus had this deep understanding that Christianity was an offshoot of their Judaism, that their ethnicity, that their physical location, that who they were as a people were inexorably tied to their identity as children of God. And so there was this idea that they wrestled with that was really hard for them to get over. That to be a Christian meant you also had to be Jewish. That there was this political, cultural, and ethnic reality to their faith. And that Christianity was somehow constricted into this idea of Second Temple Judaism. There's constant arguing in the early church. Do we even share the gospel with Gentiles or is this just for the Jews? Do we circumcise Gentiles? Do we not have to circumcise Gentiles? Eventually, the apostles are like, look, they don't have to get circumcised. It's fine. Can you imagine being the last guy that got circumcised and then getting that? If I would have just waited a day. <laughs> Might have been a little PG-13, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> they could not get past this idea that there were ethnic and cultural boundaries around knowing and worshiping God could not get past it. They fought about it constantly, constantly. So what Jesus is setting them up for here and what you'll see the apostles expound on as they wrestle with this, how do Jews and Gentiles get along idea, is that God's love, that salvation, that worship is not held in a box that is built with cultural, political, and ethnic boundaries. The gospel transcends all of that. We heard Steve talk about this a couple weeks ago, that the gospel can be planted in every culture and take root regardless of the when and the where and the how. And we see this beautiful diversity in how the church has played out over time in different cultures. The core truths stay the same. Secondary issues tend to express themselves in a broad variety. Like the secondary issues that the church was fighting about 800 years ago, we would be so, so confused by. We would look at this and say, why in the world would you consider this to be a big deal? In the same way that people 800 years ago would look at some of the issues that we're talking about and be utterly confused by democracy. They would not understand how those two realities went together. But the core truths... The love of God, the forgiveness of sin, eternal life, serving in humble submission to one another, the local church, those core truths have flourished in every culture and every time in which they have been planted because God's salvation and his love are not limited to people based on who they are, what they look like, or where they're from. And as people, we tend to naturally build boxes around what we're familiar with. It's not always on purpose. It's not always done with ill intent. It's just, we grow up with a certain perspective, right? And so if we never leave that perspective, it's very easy to forget that there are people unlike us that do things differently, that understand the world differently, that haven't heard of the gospel. 
Even today, there are unreached people groups, people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Like those exist all over the world. In fact, we'll talk about this here in a bit, but we have a ministry that we support in Brazil that this is a huge part of what they spend their time doing. And so Jesus is reminding these people this truth that the gospel is not constricted to a certain people. This is for all people in all nations. Why do you do global missions? Isn't there work to do here? Yes, there's work to do here, and we do work here. And we have this command that all people of all nations are seen by God as worthy, as his children. They're desired by him, and he wants them to know his love. He has chosen to invite us into that process as his disciples, right? Here's, here's the second reality we see here is we're sent with a purpose, we're sent with a purpose. He says that when you go, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all I have commanded you. This kind of ties back into those primary issues, right? Because the church is going to sing differently and organize differently and understand missions differently. Um, all of those aspects of the church, like the what it looks like is going to look different, but the core truths can never change. Um, just here, here's, here's a good grid for that. If you're like, well, what's a core truth and what's secondary? Here's a question you can ask yourself. Is this theological issue, truth, element, whatever adjective you want to attach on there. Has this been consistently stated as true in practice every church, everywhere for the past 2,000 years? Or is this a wrinkle that's been existent in existence for maybe the past 50? If it hasn't been around everywhere for 2,000 years, it's probably a secondary issue, right? And that's okay. We can be open-handed in those spaces. But the primary the core truths, the reality of God's love, the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to know him and experience him and sit with him and pray to him. All of those elements of our faith, those have been consistent everywhere. That's what we're called to teach people. That's what we're called to teach people. We're called to sit and build and walk. We, we would call that making disciples. Discipling has kind of become, I think that's like a participle or something, right? Like it's not actually in the dictionary, but like that's the idea is that you're teaching people what it looks like to know Jesus. You're teaching people what it looks like to follow him and to be transformed by him of the peace that we have because of the forgiveness of sins, the joy that we have in knowing our father, what it means to study his word and to pray and to serve? Well, how do we love our enemies? How do we have an ethos of Christian morality, which is in and of itself a loaded phrase right now? When I say morality, I don't mean following rules. I mean an understanding that we put others above ourselves. We stand up for the poor and the oppressed. We love those that the world has rejected because that's what God did for us first. That's our purpose when we go. We go to bring the word of God and we go to cultivate his kingdom here on earth. And so we go, we go everywhere and we go with a purpose. So for us, where has is, where is God sent RCC? What does that look like here? How does that manifest itself in our church? Because there are millions of opportunities for people to go around the world and spread the gospel of Jesus. And that's a good thing. Every church has to pick some. <laughs> And so for us, what are those opportunities here? How do we do that at RCC? I want to talk to you just a little bit about our mission partners. <clears throat> this is very, very practical 
teaching, okay? Um, and really, this is just an overview of where God has sent us and what it looks like for us to do his work. Because for a lot of us, we're new. We've kind of come in post-COVID or we came right before COVID and we're like, wait, where do we go again? Because we weren't allowed to actually physically go anywhere for a while. Um, for others of us, maybe it's just been a while and we've forgotten. For others of us, you already know this stuff better than I do, and that's awesome. Um, so I just want to kind of go over. We have four primary global mission partners at Roswell Community Church. There are four places that we would say God has called us to come alongside and help the gospel take root. And we don't go to these places as saviors with all the answers. We don't go to these places as colonizers wanting to import American evangelicalism into an otherwise lovely place. We, we go to these places as brothers and sisters of Christ asking how we can humbly serve the people that God has planted to do mission there on the ground. And so the first one is our oldest one. It's called Dios Church. This is a church planning network in Hungary. Um, I don't have pictures. I'm sorry if you're looking. Let me just spoil this for you. I did not do that well. Pictures would be wonderful, but if you go to our website under mission, you can actually hit global and there's a pamphlet and there's pictures and there's all kinds of good stuff right there. And so Dio's church is a church outside of Budapest, Hungary. Um, the initial church is in the suburbs. They have since planted two more. And so Eastern Central Europe is not a place that has for the last 150, 200 years or so been what you would call a fruitful ground for Christianity, right? Between communism and now um, secular postmodernism, there is not a cultural understanding of the gospel in this place. Spiritually, it's, it's pretty dry and it's pretty dark. And so as we partnered with this church about 15 years ago, they had this vision of planting the church so that people could hear the gospel and learn to follow Jesus in Central Eastern Europe. And so in Budapest, we have this beautiful, vibrant church in the suburbs. They are closing in. If you remember, we prayed for them a couple months ago. They were searching for a new senior pastor. They're closing in. That search is almost done. Uh, as you guys are watching, we hope that it's done now. They've also planted two churches in incredibly urban areas on both the Buda and Pest side in Budapest. And so urban areas in Central and Eastern Europe are probably one of the least church environments that you can imagine. And so if you can imagine the work that these guys are doing there, um, talking to people who have zero context for the gospel, who have a lot going on, not to mention the conflict going on in the Ukraine on their doorstep, this is an opportunity for us to deeply partner with people that are farming soil that is very, very difficult. And so what does that look like? How do we do that? So we pray, okay? We pray for them. Um, as we are in a year of prayer, this is important that we have these opportunities to pray for others. So we pray for Dio's church. We do, we send money to support their work. This goes to pay salaries. This goes to fund ministries. This goes to take care of space. We make sure that they have what they need. And that is out of your generosity. And so as you are stewarding your worshipful giving, I want you to have a clear picture of what's being done with it as we are going alongside these places and funding what God is doing there. Um, we heard a little bit about marriage ministries they do. I want to say, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, but like two out of every three people are dealing with like marital issues, maybe divorce there. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Um, and so they have a really, really important need to strengthen families that they're doing. They have camps during the summer where they share the gospel with kids um, through sports camps. And those are trips that some of you, I think, have possibly even gone on in the past. And so with our partners in Hungary, that, that's what we're doing is we're coming alongside a church that's planting church 
churches, and we are helping further their ministry. Second place is in Ghana. We're working with, uh, the man's name is David Yabua, and it's through pioneers. Um, and what pioneers do is very similar. They send missionaries and start churches. And so in Ghana specifically right now, um, when Brick and I talked to David a couple months ago, he kind of gave us the two big focuses that they're looking at right now. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about how we help with both of these. So I don't know how much you know about the continent of Africa, but in Northern Africa, uh, militant Islam is experiencing a resurgence, kind of as the realities of our counterterrorism efforts of the last 20 years or so, I say we as the West, not me personally, um, have really moved a lot of militant Islam out of the Middle East and into other parts of the world. In Northern Africa, is one of those. And so there is what is described by the church in Africa as the tension belt of Northern Africa. And that is where some historically Christian places have started to experience some very intentional persecution at the hands of militant Islamic terrorist groups. And so Ghana is just now for the first time in the last year or so starting to experience some of that. So in Northern Ghana, um, Islam is the fastest growing religion. Um, and along with that, they're importing a decent amount of violence um, and a decent amount of extremist ideology. And so for, for pioneers and for David, what they need is they need young men to go into Northern Ghana and share the gospel and plant churches. And so again, we pray for them and we help fund that. Um, we send money to make sure that they can pay for these guys' food, for their clothes, for their families, for their basic needs of living, so they can go into these very difficult parts of Africa and they can share the gospel. The other space that David is focusing is actually on the other side of the continent in um, northern Uganda, which is, again, if you know, Africa is right underneath South Sudan, where there is a brutal war going on. And we talked about this a little bit, but there's a UN camp um, on the border of South Sudan and Uganda called Camp Rhino. There's 140,000 people that live in Camp Rhino. We were in Terre Haute, Indiana um, for six years before we moved here. Um, half the size of this refugee camp was the town of Terre Haute. 140,000 people, 80% of which are women and children. And so what um, David is doing, what his ministry is doing is working with the UN to figure out how they can go into this refugee camp and spread the gospel. And they do that with a three-pronged approach. They're planting churches, they are doing education with children and healthcare, and then they are doing microfinance and business to help these people get on their feet. And the hope is that as they go into this refugee camp and they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people, that as they hopefully eventually go back into South Sudan, there is a gospel awakening that happens as churches are planted and Christians are living life. And we're doing exactly what Jesus has called us to do, which is to take his word everywhere and to go with a purpose. And so what pioneers are doing both in Ghana and in Uganda is incredibly powerful work. And so we love that we are blessed to partner with these people. Um, so pioneers is, is David Yabua and what he is doing. The third is what we would call um, Worldwide Proclamation is the ministry's name, and that's in Brazil. We had Bruno and Camilla here. Um, gosh, I don't know, four months ago-ish, something like that in the fall. And we heard a little bit about what they were doing if you were here for that. And they do a lot. So they have a consistent ministry that goes into schools and preaches the gospel in Brazil. Um, they just go in and do these, these assemblies and the kids come, they share the gospel openly in Brazil. They have a thriving women's ministry, both in Brazil and actually in Portugal even. Bruno's wife, Camilla, leads this ministry and has even been brought into Portugal to teach them how to do this, which if you know the history of those two countries is, is pretty cool. And so they are 
deeply invested in equipping women and discipling women to share their faith and to lead in their churches. The other element of that ministry is what we raise our Love Shares funds for is they go into these really remote areas of Brazil and they drill wells and they share the gospel and they start churches. And the reason they do that is because God has called us to care for people spiritually. We are not half spiritual and half physical. We're all both. So as we care for people spiritually, we also care for them physically. There's a deep connection between those two realities. These people don't have water. And so where they're able to go into these remote villages and drill wells, it gives them a foothold to display the love of Christ. They go into these places and they start churches. These people are unreached people groups. They have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. They're starting to do the same thing in Bolivia and in Peru. And um, just to update you, we were hoping to, to raise $20,000 to drill four wells. Through your generosity, we raised $26,000 and we may be able to drill up to six or seven over the next two years. And so those aren't just six or seven wells. Those are six or seven communities that will hear the gospel for the first time because a group of people in Metro Atlanta said, we feel like God has sent us to take the gospel to the world. And so we can joyfully partner with Bruno and Camilla as they are planting these seeds throughout a gigantic country in South America. And then finally, the last partner we have is called She is Safe. Um, it actually was started um, by Michelle right here from RCC. And so She is Safe targets specifically how they can end the systemic issue of human sex trafficking and not only stop the flow of these girls into these organizations, but also share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And so it's a multi-pronged model and they work all over the world. Um, if you can think of the worst places in the world, those tend to be the easiest places for evil men to take advantage of people who can't defend themselves. And that tends to be where human trafficking often takes root. And so they work in the Middle East, they work in Africa, they work in Southeast Asia. As a church, historically, we have specifically sponsored their ministry in India and Nepal. And so what, what She is Safe will do is go into these communities that have been ravaged by human trafficking, ravaged by human trafficking. Um, girls that are born in these places are generally considered a burden to their family. And so their family gets by by selling them into slavery. That, that's the way things they would say have been in these communities for a very long time now. And so She is Safe goes into these communities and develops education and micro-business options that teaches these families that these girls are not things to be sold, but they are people made in the image of God. And as people made in the image of God, they have an intrinsic worth and they also want to build these families' vision of what that looks like by empowering these girls to understand business, to understand education, and to give them a platform to generate income from their family. And the reason they do that is really practical because at some point, evil will never be extinguished in this world until Jesus Christ comes back. And so there will always be another human trafficker right around the corner. But when you stop the supply you start to change the culture of these communities and how they see their girls and how they treat them and the opportunities that they have. And so they go in and they transform how these communities view their girls. Um, they go in and they educate them. They go in and they give them jobs. They go in and they teach them businesses. We did the goats with She is Safe a few years ago. And so this is a ministry that has a deep impact all over the world. This is, um, for us, this is the primary ways that we help She is Safe is funding, prayer, and partnership. Um, really our other three partners 
partners. There's a fairly broad, broad latitude as the world is opening back up again for us to go on trips and come alongside. We've even talked to Bruno and Camilla about potentially sending some teams to help drill the wells that we funded. Um, with She is Safe, they're pretty specialized. It's a little more difficult to go on some of these trips for a variety of reasons. And so the primary way we support them is through finances and prayer. Um, they're deeply deeply faithful people that have been doing an incredibly difficult ministry in incredibly hard places. And so this is where God sent us as a church. I don't know individually what that looks like for you. And this isn't a, oh, hey, let's give money. Listen, please hear me. Do not give a dime today if you feel some kind of a guilt or manipulation for me. That's not what this is about. This is about you hearing and seeing where God has called our church and who we are coming alongside and doing ministry with. And so here's the ask. Read about them and pray for them, okay? That's the ask. What's the application point today? We cannot all get on a plane and go on a trip today, right now, right? Like, if you want to do that, like, that's, that's great. I'm not telling you not to. Um, but the invitation today is to join what God is already doing through RCC by knowing these people's stories and remembering them in your prayers. This is a year that we pray like our lives depend on it because God has sent us everywhere. We don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for our brothers and sisters of, in Christ all over the world because the gospel goes everywhere. The gospel is for everyone. And we have been gifted this incredible opportunity to know these men and women that are doing the same work that we are doing here in Metro Atlanta all over the world. And so please let this be more than a program that the church funds. Let this be people whose names you know and whose stories you know and who you spend time praying for. The most powerful thing you can do to partner with God as he is doing all over the world, his work is to pray for these people. As a church, we truly believe that God has made us a family. And so these are a part of our family. And so my invitation to you today as we prepare to respond in worship is really twofold. Know and pray for these people and firmly root yourselves in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and the transformation that has happened in us because of him. That is what fuels the mission that God has sent us on. So let's pray and respond as we celebrate this tangible reminder, communion, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. God, we thank you that you have given us the partners that you've given us. That as we seek to be a people who are faithful to you, you opportunities which we can be faithful with. And so God, help us be people who love deeply these partners. Help us be people who pray for them and know them, who remember them, who talk about them, and who see them as more than a program or a project, but who we see as our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we love and care about the same way that you've loved and cared about us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.